You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is President Heather Mason. If you're a first-time listener, check out our previous episodes. Do us a favor, leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. All right. Today's guest is Jeremiah Bishop. As a professional cross-country mountain bike racer, he won gold medals and national championship titles before venturing into ultra-endurance racing, where his talent was unleashed. When mountain bike stage racing took off in the U.S., Jeremiah dominated with an unmatched streak of wins at all the major events. He went on to establish a multi-surface Grand Fondo event that preceded what would become an explosive gravel cycling movement. He's a cycling coach, events consultant, and athlete ambassador for Canyon Bicycles. He loves mapping new routes, interpreting the data, and testing the limits. His most recent venture, a founding member of the Impossible Roots team. He is the mastermind behind the roots, the technical details, equipment, and expedition logistics. And the Impossible Root documentary series is all about capturing the story and the adventure of cyclists trying to accomplish what might be considered impossible. Listen in as we reflect on this past year and how retailers can provide value and keep the stoke level ultra high. A personal ultra endurance cyclist myself, I'm really excited about this one. So I welcome Jeremiah to Bicycle Retail Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, Heather. Thanks so much for having me on board. I don't know about all that stuff you just said, but I just like bikes <laughs> and I like sharing the excitement for riding. And I think that's what's kind of kept me going and kept me doing new things. You know, it's it's definitely just a passion for me and I really just love it. You know, anything with two wheels, if it's commuting, you know, if it's getting groceries or riding to the top of a mountain. I mean, if it's got two wheels, I, I like getting involved with it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm super resonating with this impossible roots that you, and I can't wait to talk about it because I'm the person who like loves the map collection and love just like pointing to a spot and saying, I want to do this, having no idea if it is possible. And I want to get into that. I want to talk about your sponsorships. And I I really Mm -hmm. want to just kick it off with a big, maybe leading question how are you okay. feeling, man? How are you feeling about the state of the industry, the bike boom, the past like year, 18 months? Where are you at with that? I can't tell you how awesome it is. And I say this because we really see it in the comments for the impossible routes. We see it on social. There are people asking us very basic questions and getting into the sport, getting excited about riding, trying their first winter ride. You know, those are those are the things that really make me smile. And, you know, when, whenever you do something new, you kind of put yourself out on a limb. And there's some people, you know, a lot of people love the impossible routes, but there's some people in the industry that are like, eh. But you know what? I think our, our real gauge is how many people outside of cycling love it. And that is really part of that whole storytelling piece and really trying to kind of reach farther than our like normal circle. So it's really a neat time to be in cycling. You know, I think it's the second golden age of cycling and we have to really, as a collective of like experienced cyclists, we have to really make it more welcoming. We have to welcome people in. We have to give them the tools and resources they need to continue learning about the sport, to stay engaged in the sport you know, because these things, they don't always last. And so, you know, they, they come up and hopefully this one will retain a lot of the people who have just joined us. And, you know, a lot of that comes from being welcoming. A lot of that comes from inspiring. And, you know, I think that's the real, I guess, gravitas with this whole impossible routes thing is it's really been neat to hear people say, Hey, I just started riding again. You know, this is awesome. I love what you guys are doing. So oh, no, you're this is the conversation that we're having with retailers. We have this, we have this amazing opportunity right now to take all these new cyclists. Like traditionally, the people walking into the bicycle shop are those familiar with spandex, or maybe they have a friend who rides, right? But now we have people yeah. who maybe walked in because their gym was closed, or they just were so stressed out they needed a new outlet, or they just read an article that bikes were the thing and they needed, they wanted to go buy one. And 
we're reminding retailers, let's add value. Let's excite people. Let's let's tempt people. I think that's what's so cool about the Impossible Routes project. So I know the first one, I was on the website, impossibleroute.com. And the first one was in 2020. And I think there's been three episodes in 2021. Tell me more. Tell us more. Well, it all started with the pilot episode, which was the impossible route up Mauna Kea. And Alex Candelario, who is a guide on the Big Island, he runs Big Island Tours, said, hey, you know, I know you guys want to do this traditional route, but you guys should do the impossible route. And told me about how it's this gravel approach. Obviously, gravel's trending, so I knew it would kind of be a double like hit there. And yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard the name impossible, I'm like, okay, wait a second. So do you think someone could do it? He's like, yeah, yeah, I think someone could do it. But every time they run out of water or it's just too long, talking about a route with 17,000 vertical feet of gain in one shot, tops out nearly 14,000 feet, starts at the ocean. So that that was our first episode. And, you know, I thought it was going to kill Tyler, the vegan cyclist, you know, very popular YouTuber stoke maker for the sport but yeah it, it didn't kill him and and he actually really showed a lot of like growth and and personal development and you know that's that's a lot of what i love about doing long tough rides is how getting yourself into like trouble can sometimes be the most memorable and amazing stuff it can also be transformative and restorative and, you know, I think that's why a lot of people got into cycling during the pandemic. You know, it's like, yeah, I need to get out of here. This is just claustrophobic. This is just, you know, a lot of stress or a lot of like family stress. I'll tell you what, you get down the bike path, you know, just uh, a couple minutes and phew, it's all gone. Or if you're blasting down a trail, it's just out of sight, out of mind. And so we decided to uh, go back and try to say, Hey, let's do another episode. And a friend of mine said, Hey, why don't you do a series instead of just an episode? I'm like, all right. I like that. I like that. And so we got the sponsors together, pulled together a a bunch of great sponsors, including Canyon IRC. We have flow formulas, DT Swiss. Yeah. I mean, some of these are very familiar brands. Some of my classic sponsors like Ergon, some Tyler sponsors jumped in like Eliel and it's it's really just been neat. We even got the support of Strava and Whoop. So really um, need to see people get into this whole like concept. And you know, what started out as like one episode has now become a four episode series. So the third episode just launched Glacier de Teton. We did a premiere at Sea Otter Classic. It was super fun. And then the next episode that's coming up already in the can, so to speak, getting edited is called Telluride Hellride. So I'm not going to spoil it too much, but we joined forces with Ryan Petrie, who is a Colorado local. He's a mountain goat, as it were, really good at high altitude. And we took on this insane ride with 28,000 feet of climbing through the high Jeep road passes of the San Juan mountain range. It's a really dumb idea, but you'll just have to watch it to see how it came out. (laughs) Oh man, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Yeah. You know, we need to have these things that inspire us. You know, we hear of like the Iron Cowboy. We hear of these these people chasing their dreams, doing what we are thinking is impossible. And it makes us want to say, okay, what do we, what can we go after? And for some people, it might be just finishing a mile. You know, like on my Facebook, someone posted, you know, last year it was 25 miles. This year it's 49 miles. That's my goal. I think we can really build a community around this. Is that what you're seeing? Is that what you're feeling? Absolutely. You know, some of the the best messages are are those where everyone has their own impossible. You know, recovering from injury. A friend of mine is a really accomplished writer. Abe Kaufman had knee surgery, you know, and, and so he was working to try to get up to 30 minutes of riding before he had knee pain. I mean, you know what? But it's freedom, it's it's fresh air, it's the outside, and Anything better than yesterday is an awesome improvement, a great goal, and something worth smiling about and being proud of. And I think that's what we're saying. The other thing we're really, I think, saying, and this, I didn't realize this message was ingrained in the impossible routes, 
is that it is okay to fail. It is. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It is okay. The impossible route, Death Valley, I knew was a bit overboard. So I said to Tyler, hey, how about we do like a shorter route, you know, four days, we'll go from Vegas to Bishop, California or Lone Pine, and we'll ride like sort of the part that I know is rideable. And he's like, well, what's the other option? And I was like, well, we can try to ride the entire California backcountry discovery motorcycle route. I mean, these people are on like 700 CC dual sport motorcycles with giant tires, just throttle. And you know, try to stay on their itinerary, but I, I think that's impossible. And he's like, which one's harder? And I was like, well, definitely that. And so that's what we did. And we definitely got our teeth kicked in. We didn't make it. You know, we were 40 miles shy of making the entire route. And I was really uh, uh, not upset, but I was, you know, I had plenty of time to process the actual personal, like, incomplete. Like we had four hours until we saw the film crew and we could like drop, jump, crawl, dehydrated and hungry inside the back of the truck and beg for a granola bar. So we had a lot of time to process that emotionally, like with ourselves. But what we didn't know was, are people going to think the episode's crap? You know, is it going to be like, oh, well, I didn't make it click, you know, but we turned the leaf. We kept on riding. We started having fun. We started seeing the places we were in. We took some time to see some of these like historic sites. We found this old like abandoned mine, like museum. We visited Sarah Gordo, Brent with uh, the famous YouTuber from Ghost Town Living. And like he toured us through the, you know, mine building. And we got to see like human bones that he found in there and like minerals and weird. It was awesome. So, I mean, it, it just became about sharing the story at that point and having fun. And I was like, well, wait a second, you know, some of these documentaries, they, and you don't make the documentary and it's all sad and everybody's like upset. We were like, let's party, you know, <laughs> so completely different, uh, you know, uh, uh, angle. We're doing things different and we're showing that it's okay. You know, just set out, to do something awesome. That's stretching your limits and you know, it's either going to be good or great. Yeah. It's okay. We, we can celebrate the victories, but we also can celebrate the, the, the loss or the, the the change victory. Let's say the change victory. Right, right. Coming up short is still way more than I've ever done in a week, right? Yeah. So like I exceeded like 12 of my PRs. I mean, longest day on the saddle, longest week on the bike, most miles in one week, a new route that no one's ever done before. I mean, okay. If we missed 40 miles of the route, whatever. You know, you step out, you train for it. Training made me better fitter and that's the message we're trying to share it's a hard just get thing. out there it's a hard thing to process when you're out there though right you're out there you're doing it and you're thinking about it and if you don't finish I mean I'm a little bit of a freak myself like so I have to ask you I mean do you want to go back and finish that like is that yeah. what I do you do I do yeah. I shouldn't have said that in public, but yeah, I want to go back and I want to finish that route at least the hardest day the 165 mile crux day just because I know things now that I didn't know then. Yeah. So, yeah. You put it out there, right? Yep. I put it out there and, you know, I hope other people do go and ride the routes. You know, I'd like to see some of the routes be accomplished by other people that we don't make. We had a guy from uh, Quebec, Canada, finish the impossible route, Mauna Kea, and he's doing YouTube on it and can't wait to see how it goes. And honestly, I thought it would be, you know, I thought people would be doing these routes more, but, you know, kind of back to our, our previous discussion, one of the things that we're trying to do is build a community. We're trying to build resources for people. We have a lot of information on theimpossibleroute.com, which is the website, including suggested routes. So we actually have, okay, well, this route's not really what you want to do. Death Valley, unequivocally, I would say is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, or excuse me, the, the Mojave South Mojave section of the route. But what I did is I put together three routes. I took like a day to do this and I put together suggested routes. So heart of the Mojave, unbelievable. It'll change your life to do this route. It's so beautiful up there. The Titus Canyon loop and Cerro Gordo loops. So those three areas, those are the spots to hit, go in the winter, bring lots of water, 
bring a spot tracker. Mm-hmm. And if you do any one of those routes, I hope someone sends me a message and says, man, that was amazing. Thank you. You know, because that's that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're actually trying to, to give people ways in which they can, you know, select the correct Apodora bags for their setup. Yeah. You know, how do you manage your storage? Where do you put the weight? How do you functionally use the bags out in the field? You know, what things do you want to have on your bento bag? You know, so those are sort of things that we did. We had a, a kind of a show and tell along with our last premiere, which was really fun. We kind of showed some of our packing list, you know, things like lip balm. <laughs> I would have given a hundred bucks for a stick of lip balm in Death Valley. I am not kidding. Every one of these seems to have that in common. Lip balm is permanently on my bike packing list now. I love it. I love, I'm just thinking, you know, as we're as we're speaking, I'm thinking about you know the Iron Man and how the Iron Man used to be something that was totally impossible, right? There are very yeah. few people we remember, you know, crawling across the finish line, right? Back <laughs> and now it, it's achievable. It's it's on a more achievable level. I'm an ultra runner, and we have now 200 mile ultra runs coming out. Yeah. Right? Crazy. So, yeah. So you're basically giving people like a platform. Here's another thing you can go after. I'm thinking just logistically new challenges, new adventures, all the mapping and planning. And you mentioned Strava earlier and I'm not familiar with Strava, Strava routes yet. Can you connect roads and trails and places with no trails even? Absolutely. So there are a couple of things that we do. I definitely I can't tell people or show people, but we have these really cool stickers that we had made up for the impossible route. So we were giving these out to kids and people who are fans and stuff like that. In fact, anybody who wants to DM me on Instagram or Facebook, I will send you some impossible route stickers and autograph, you know, a little postcard, just trying to stoke people up for riding. And, you know, that that's really what it's about. Back to Strava. Strava was really integral in our route planning. So we would use a number of platforms, everything from CalTopo to ride with GPS, to Landsat imagery, ESRI, data layers, Mapbox has a bunch of really cool stuff that is used by a lot of websites, commercial and and private, and basically anything we can get our hands on. And word of mouth actually is one of the more powerful things that you can kind of get from Strava because of the heat map. So for premium members, you have the heat map. You can look and see if people have actually ridden through there. And so if it's a dead end and another dead end, and completely white between, you have a pretty good idea that a lot of people have tried to get through, but it's probably not going through for a reason. Thousands of people, you know, in most even remote areas will sort of try different routes. It was challenging with the impossible routes because we're literally going for those dark areas on the Strava heat map. And we've actually punched through some really cool connectors and, and pieces that I had a hunch would go through. And now people can go and ride those. And, and that's that's one of the fun things. One of the tips that I have for route building is if you're curious about a area, you take a look at the heat map or take a look at the segments, and then you type a comment onto that person's activity. Oh. Hey, at Lisa or hey, at Sam, does this trail go through? And they'll often comment right back to you. So whereas you don't have their email or phone number, Strava is pretty public and there's millions of people on there. And people usually like sharing their activity and they love giving tips. And so, I mean, it's been kind of a good resource for just like, you know, word of mouth route building. I love that. I'm going to start using it more because I'm a historically like trail forks, ride with GPS, Google Earth, and you got like all these different apps open and you're trying to make sense of it all. But having There's nothing better than. Yeah. Yeah. So like when, when you have someone that has actually been through there on a cross bike or gravel bike and they're like, no way. Whatever you do, just either do not ride your gravel bike through there, sand up to the rims. So anyway, that's some of the stuff you learn. And, and we're, we're still learning. Honestly, we're beginners at filmmaking. Tyler and I, you know, this type of filmmaking. Tyler's a very good YouTuber, no doubt. And I'm a very good bike rider, no doubt. But when it comes to actually like creating movies, we don't know what we're doing. I mean, but as part of the brilliance of being able to pivot quickly, you know, I think when we were talking about this concept for the episode, you know, a lot of it's about being responsive and adaptive. I know with, with the bike industry in the last two years, there's been a tremendous amount of change. Supply chain shops, you know, having a big push to go online, curbside delivery, all this other stuff that, that seems to have been like, you know, a huge challenge 
to actually opportunities. I think they're opportunities to learn, opportunities, you know, to be flexible, opportunities to sort of kind of expand our knowledge base. And, you know, it's been good. Yeah, the industry, the you know, crazy bike boom, as you're saying, and now some supply shortages are are forcing retailers to be creative, look at different sources of revenue, and encourage simply encourage cycling growth. I know you've spent a lot of time as a sponsored rider and working with retailers at demo events, interacting with cyclists. Is there any areas that come out like top of mind for you right now that retailers should focus on? Yeah, I mean, our, our local retailers, they have a lot of really neat things that that I think are, A, they really drive community, which keeps people in for the long term, you know, and, and it's more thinking long term. Everything from like repair, bike repair classes to doing social events, having beer and coffee. Yeah, it's really neat to see sort of these other things that have sort of spawned off of their sort of retail location and that flexibility to, yeah, generating business in different ways has been really neat to see. Some of the shops that I've seen out on the road and in my travels do tours, guide, guided events, races, and really just being creative with how they interact with their with their customers. And then, you know, quite often if people will do a bike packing clinic, they're like, well, dang, I don't even have a plug kit. I don't have, you know, a spare tire and you know spot GPS or the parts and bits and tools and things that they need to get, you know, out there and do these things. Yeah. I, I think there's some, some pretty neat examples of, you know, making lemons into lemonade. To answer yeah, your question cool. about my sort of background in the shops, I was service manager actually at Bike Doctor in oh. Maryland. I also worked at Princeton Sports. Yeah. A bunch of different bike shops, like Treat Cycles, and yeah, I got to see, you know, a bunch of different, whole bunch of different business ideas and and things that were uh were cool and things that we would do during downtime and and ways in which we could sort of maximize, you know, what we did have. One of the cool things that we did at Princeton Sports is while you wait repairs. And okay, well, I mean, obviously with service right now and COVID, it's it's kind of crazy because, you know, some shops are just putting bikes in containers. Mm-hmm. and have three week wait time. Well, sometimes writing up a service ticket that's legible, that gives good instructions to another person and then getting the parts together and then putting it back in storage and then someone else trying to find it, get it back out, put it back in. Thanks, then Mom. they pick the bike up, they get back. In, you know what I mean? Hey, if it's a wheel true, just knock it out you know, set like a part, part of their, you know, part of our like way in which we built out the schedule was we kind of reserve some of this time for while you wait. And then while you wait, you buy a Garmin, you know, someone gets a new pair of shorts, the more time they're like walking around the shop, they're just like buying stuff that they didn't know they needed because mm-hmm. they're killing time or they're going to, you know, grab another coffee or, you know, grab a map. And so it was, it was kind of interesting. We would actually have a hundred percent increase in like parts and supplies sales. If we, during the while you wait repairs. Nobody knows your bike shop better than you, but the people who might come the closest are other bike shop owners who are facing the same day-to-day and long-term challenges that you are. Joining a P2 group is one of the most affordable ways to take a deep dive into your business alongside other bike shop owners who are experts in what you do. Reach out today so we can tell you more about how a P2 group can make a difference in your business. Right, because people are interacting and you're, you know, that's what we've been talking a lot about fit recently and so critical, these new riders that we're setting them up to actually properly enjoy their bike. But that time you spend with someone while you're fitting them to their bike, you're talking about shoes, you're talking about helmet, pedal stroke, Garmin, places to ride. I mean, we go back to what you were saying. It's about the journey. These cyclists are coming in and they're about to embark on this journey, right? And we have an opportunity to really engage them. And before we we actually uh, were talking offline, you and I, just before this, 
about the community that you live in. And you were just like raving about how awesome it is. And that's what we want. We want people to leave your store raving about cycling and how awesome it is. I love that you've worked at shops and I know you currently ride a Canyon and I'm sure you're very well much aware Canyon or retailers like shun the word, right? D to C is coming. How any thoughts around how you feel about D to C and bicycle retailer and how we can all work in harmony in this big ecosystem that we have? Totally, Heather. It's interesting because I've been on both sides. And you know, I think that one of the things that I like to communicate to shops is that the ones that are really invested in their customers have nothing to fear from D2C. Like it's it's really the ones that don't look to what their customers need from a community standpoint, service standpoint, and you know they might have something to be concerned about. But you know, right now we have huge tailwinds in the bike industry, and there's just so much positive. And you know, right now, while there's not really any like customer authorized service centers or anything like that going on. You know, the shops around here, they do get a lot of business from Canyon owners and they get tons of service. They get, you know, like I said, when, you know, people come in there, you know, we can't service the bikes, you know, Canyon doesn't service the bikes. So that's a big, big part of it. And yeah, there's a lot of room at the table right now for sure. And, you know, Canyon's always looking for ways to kind of improve their customer service or customer experience. And, you know, right now they have bikerepair.com. And that's one way they can find service partners that Canyon's worked with on a frequent basis. So for retailers out there that are open, yeah, it's it's a kind of open book. And I think when when you look at the, the shops in our area, I mean, they're hammering away and you know quite adaptable. There's a local shop over in Culpepper that does fits. A name Joe Coppola runs that is called Velo Concepts, and they have an awesome cafe. You know, Joe's like, hey, why don't you come over and, and do a group ride and, uh, you know, screen the impossible routes? I'm like, sure. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of one of those things like the, the shops that welcome all their customers are going to have, you know, uh, a good time with it and plenty of business. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. You. And with, you know, they're, they're Canyon from a customer standpoint is really trying to ramp up their small parts availability so we can try to keep people rolling. But yeah, there's plenty of business to go around. It's just kind of like, you know, this evolving, kind of evolving space. Yeah. I, I'm so with you in this. And we we tell retailers, you know, you have lots of opportunity. There's service, there's fit, there's getting people in, and then all the other accessories that are needed. And, you know, just because someone might get a bike online doesn't mean that they don't need their local retailer to help them keep them engaged and, and run, you know, running smoothly. I was going to ask you, you know, if you if you think that retailers should talk about these events that are happening, talk about. But I love the idea you just said do a film screening. How how that's amazing! What a great idea. <laughs> hey, it's you know it's it's all it's all out there. You know, people just need to yeah, you know, grab onto it, latch onto it, and make it theirs. And you know, we're trying to inspire people to ride, and I think that's that's the cool thing with the impossible routes and. You know, I think if it's a gravel ride or, you know, weekly clinic series or or other fun things, you know, those are just great, great ways to just really kind of help build that community. And, you know, of course, when you're trying to find revenue, like you can't beat a fit. I mean, that's if you're good at it. And uh, my friend Joe is very good at it. And yeah, it's uh, something people need. They will drive very far from where they live to get to it. And yeah, it's, it's great business model. Plus it, you know, they're going to need a different saddle and different grips and different this and different stem. And, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ancillary sales that go on there. I'm just remembering back and I had a, at a store for a period of time and we were very active with organizing events, but we also did local trail maintenance days, which got people out, you know, not on the bike, but just taking care of the trails and bettering the community and I did a little research on you and I know that you also co-founded, is it Love Trails? Is that the organization? Yeah, it's L-U-V-T-R-A-I-L-S. And really the idea came from, you know, when you're out there riding, especially traveling, you know, we do a lot of adventure travel 
us uh, mountain bikers, you know, it, it's tough to tip the trails. If you don't even know who built the trails or who maintains the trails. I met Ari Roussal, who's the founder in South Africa. He, he now lives in Colorado full time. They came up with this really cool solution, which is a geofenced app that allows you to kind of know where you are on sort of trail cruise sort of territory, if it were, and allows you to donate to those groups. So there are hundreds of groups across the country, awesome groups like Fast in Northwest Arkansas or Mid-Atlantic Off-Road Enthusiasts, you know, all these local trail angels that do all this work. They bust their tail. They do all this fundraising just to keep the trails in good shape for you and me. If you're traveling, make sure to check it out. You can also attach it to your Strava, which is super cool because of the way it geofences, you can just make an automatic donation. Let's say 25 cents per mile. Oh, really? And then at the end of the week, it says, do you want to confirm this donation on your email? You click yes. And, you know, money goes to the local trail organization. And so it's really kind of neat, but it's also cool for uh, bike shops and retailers and coffee shops and things like that to engage with the people who are coming into town to ride. So you might be, you know, Kingdom Trails or riding in Santos or in the Pacific Northwest riding. But then I never go into a shop, but then you see an ad that says, hey, thanks for donating. Would you like a $10 gift certificate for Bikes Plus? Sure. You know, or would you like a free pint of beer on us at the Fat Tire Brewing? You know, it's it's really kind of neat because, you know, that's that's sort of the potential that it brings. I mean, the whole idea of the whole thing came from just not being able to figure out who in the heck runs the local trail crews. And, you know, I was like, man, this would be really neat. So that's the idea behind it. You know, it's just one of those things that I continually uh, get involved with. And I realize it's a lot more work than I thought it was in the beginning, but all this stuff, I do it because I love it. You know, so you can tell your passion for the sport is just there. And, you know, be, I think you're like, yeah, you just start, if you're anything like me, you know, which I was an endurance biker as well, you're just like, want to just take on all these projects and just keep adding because it makes you feel good. They're good things. And it gets, gets people involved. I didn't even ask you about your past cycling career or, I mean, I don't know if our listeners know, you know, could you give us a little bit about, you know, some of the things you've done? Well, I mean, I started racing my, my uh, teens, you know, in Maryland and then moved out to Harrisonburg 25 years ago to pursue the sport and, you know, move out to the mountains and, uh, Finally started to make it click. I learned quite a bit about coaching. I own a coaching company called Bishop Training as well. So I don't know, I guess I'm kind of becoming a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's really been fun. It's been fun because I've been able to well exceed my expectations. You know, I thought maybe I'd be able to ride at the pro level and make a living for a few years racing the Norba National Circuit and to do this stuff. But I've gone and do a lot of really cool other things. Yeah, winning some of these you know, endurance races came later, but when I really got into it early on, I was racing cross-country mountain biking, which is, you know, sort of the Red Bull format that you see. And those events are an hour and a half long, technical, explosive, really high paced, a lot of action, a lot of traffic crashes and, uh, you know, just super exciting format of racing. And so cross-country mountain bike racing, I did for quite a long time. I raced with my first team, a small team based out of Florida, actually, K2 Nusun. But then I found some really good success, got on the Trek Volkswagen East Coast regional team. Then in 2004, I was like, well, I'm you know, getting pretty fast. I'm going to try to do a couple international races. And a friend of mine said, hey, you should try out for the Olympics. And I'm like, no way, no way. I'm nowhere near good enough. I almost made the team um, and it was the subject of a really cool film called Off-Road to Athens. And so that maybe perked some of my film interest is uh, kind of some involvement in some of these early documentary productions. Yeah, I didn't go to the Olympics, but I did win the Pan American Games on the way. I also won several Norba Nationals. And then, yeah, I just kept going and and got on some other teams, including uh, Cannondale Factory Racing, Monaby Cannondale, and then... You know, I was on uh, Show Air Cannondale for a while, and it was just a wild ride, just really, really neat. But I always had to have something different mm. to keep motivated 
Because if you do the same old thing, the same old way for long enough, eh, you kind of lose motivation. So I was always kind of curious about the long distance races. I would do some of the 100 mile national series events here and there, sort of pick some of those off. And it was awesome, really fun. And then I started to do some of these stage races and instantly it really worked well for me. So we raced Transalp. Oh, geez. I mean, I think that was maybe 2007 and it really propelled my form. So Chris Etoff and myself with Trek Volkswagen raced the Transalp that year. We got our teeth kicked in the first couple stages, but the last stage into Lago de Garda, the race goes between Germany and Italy across the Alps, hence the name. We won the stage, you know, beating Carl Platt and, and his teammate. And yeah, it was eye opener. I really loved that format. And then I got onto Canyon sponsored team about nine years ago called Topi Gurgon. And so I was actually riding Canyon bikes well before they were available in the US. Yeah, it was really, really neat evolution. So race for two Canyon teams. And now I'm just doing sort of my privateer Canyon program, as well as doing the documentary series, The Impossible Routes. Gosh, I have so many things think I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking back to Norba and I'm thinking about Mount Snow and the naked ride. And I'm, I don't know if you ever joined in one of those when that was there. And then the stage racing, I can totally, you know, BC bike race, Breck Epic. And earlier you and I were talking about Pista. Have you had some hand in, in organizing and setting up some of these events? Well, I consulted with Transylvania Epic early on. And it was really fun just to sort of take some of my experience having raised Cape, Cape Epic five times, Trans Out seven times. Yeah, to, to contribute a bit to, you know, the length of the stages, ideas on stages. Yeah, and it's been really fun to see those races grow and, you know, become a staple of, of U.S. bike racing. Really think it's fun to... Yeah, be involved on the promotional side. I also uh, founded the Alpine Live Grand Fondo. It's our local charity cycling event, sort of mixed surface gravel and road and everything. So like I said, I like bikes. We had um, a really cool race called Tour of Virginia in our area for several years. Raced that for a bunch of years. And then it, you know, went belly up. I guess they were spending more than they were taking in. And, you know, it was kind of a big bummer because... I loved having the big show here and all the racers coming here and the team cars. And it was super fun. And, you know, came up with the idea to run a Grand Fondo format, which isn't all race, you know, it's part party, part race, but it was another chance to bring people to Harrisonburg. It's really great for local business. The restaurants kill it. The bike shops are loving it. And also it's a chance to, you know, kind of share my excitement for the sport. And so, yeah, I've been involved with, event consulting and yeah, a bunch of fun things in cycling. Thinking about, you know, events last year, events being canceled, postponed and, you know, race promoters, some, I feel like barely holding on, you know, because there's, you can make a, you can make a profit or you can just get the race basically out the door. Challenging time. Many people even looking to sign up for races, but they're just closing out so quickly. I mean, there might be, there might be some some benefit to retailers, even if they can, if they have the insurance to, or work with someone to set up something in their local community. Like you said, it's great for business, right? It is. And really when you, when you look at like one of the things that, especially in the space for smaller events, it's one of the things a big company can't do well. Like, you know, Lifetime Fitness is not going to come to your small local town and spend $30,000 to host an event that takes in $13,000, you know, they're just not going to do that. But if you are already there and you know the routes, you know the place, you know, it's pretty easy comparatively to host an event. It's also, you know, a great community thing. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And you look at like the very big events, they've been able to ride out COVID, you know, just sort of talking about that industry in itself, you kind of look on bike reg and you look at the number of events that have gone under. It's definitely been a lot of those middle size events have just struggled. You know, the ones that actually need to make, make some money have really struggled. So I definitely feel that it was a tough year, two years. And, you know, just for us to host the event and just to be able to have that for the community and for the cancer community, we support cancer journeys. So make sure to check out 
Cancer Journeys and Prostate Cancer Awareness Project. For you men out there over 40, make sure to get your PSA checked. There's a free prostate tracker there. Super cool. Very, very treatable cancer if it's detected early. If you let it slide, you might not be uh, so lucky. But yeah, really, really cool community effort that we have. We're lucky that we've been able to keep it going and kind of made it out of the backside of this thing. Yeah, it's been really interesting because it's been an opportunity, I think, when you look at Lifetime Fitness, you look at some of these other big, big, well-funded, you know, event promoters, they've been able to, you know, snap up big properties like Seattle Classic, you know, sort of expand in the gravel space like Michael Marks and BWR. And you look at the, you know, SBT gravel, you know, they've got the resources to ride out a bad year. But a lot of the local promoters are like, you know, we're really, really hammered. And a lot of them couldn't qualify for, you know, the, I guess they had like small business assistance. So yeah, really big challenges. But yeah, I mean, I think coming out of the backside of it now, there's actually a lack of events and a lot of people who are really interested and whether they stay in cycling, I think is going to depend on how much fun they're having. Yeah. I'm just thinking what you're doing with the impossible routes and using Strava you could, you know, retailers could almost just in their own local community, make a couple routes and throw them out there to their community to, just to try it on any day that they want. Right. It'd be kind of neat way to keep people engaged. It's a great idea. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if we can encourage people to be active and you know, that anytime you like change someone's behavior, then in a positive way, it really is memorable and and fun and you know getting people out the door yeah that that you can't go wrong with and when you're selling bikes tell you what we wear out some bike parts (laughs) all right the more you ride the better i'm gonna go a little sideways on you i i haven't actually watched the videos yet the impossible routes what i know i suck right i suck (laughs) is this something you know i'm thinking inspiration i'm thinking of people Walking into a shop, and if and if a retailer had the impossible route on the screen, people are going to be like, "Wow, what is this? What is this? How long is each episode? What are, what am I in for?" When I I should I should have previously said I don't watch like hardly any TV. So. Well, if you go to theimpossibleroute.com, start with the pilot episode, Monakea, and make sure you've got popcorn in an hour to sit down and, and check it out. And and I think you'll dig it. A lot of people watch these while they're riding the trainer. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing we've noticed is, you know, I mean, Swift's cool and all, but a lot of people will just like slide that screen over and play the impossible route because they want to see terrain and they want to see the action and how it plays out. And yeah, uh, I think it could be awesome. I mean, if people play that up on their flat screen TV, it gives some people ideas on what they want to do. And when they have ideas and goals, they need equipment. They mm-hmm. need a bike. They need a group. They need a fit. I mean, it all just sort of Comes is full circle. If you don't have goals, you don't need a coach. I mean, and, and your bike riding is sort of like brushing your teeth. It's, it's kind of a limited, you know, can be a limited activity for some people. But I think as we bring them into the fold and you start to become part of our club, our community, then you start to say, this is awesome. Now I need to get the cool cycling cap and I need my burrito bag for the handlebar and I need to get, you know, all this other stuff. But that comes with sort of that second stage of like being an enthusiast. And so I think we've got a lot of people on the welcome mat and we need to welcome welcome them in the door and make, you know, cycling be like much more about that community piece. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I read this article about people selling their Peloton bikes. You know, we had this big, pe- this big wave, wave of people to get the Peloton bike, and now I feel like because we have, we've gotten them outside now, and you know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Peloton bike. I think it's a great thing, but I'm excited that people are outside and they're looking for that adventure. And people are working remotely. They're they're valuing their time. They're taking Monday off to go on an adventure. So we have this awesome opportunity. And I love the idea of retailers playing the impossible route in the store. I love the idea of getting people to think outside of their box and their comfort zone and push themselves a little bit. You know, maybe it's asking them to share 
they're themselves conquering their impossible route, or maybe it's Absolutely. us. Yeah. Right. Sharing our self conquering, whatever we think is impossible. Yep. We have some ideas for our contest. I, I like your idea, Heather, that is sort of full circle because, you know, one of the most engaged posts that we had on social media last year was Tyler was like, Hey, well, we did some awesome stuff this year, but what do you think we should do? It blew up. I mean, people had like all these ideas, but we really want, uh, and this is the idea with the Strava challenges we did. We did a 165 miles in two weeks challenge, which is, you know, it's a goal for most people. It's doable. Do 165 miles in two weeks. And then in August, we had climbed 30,000 feet in two weeks. That's a bit harder, you know, especially if you live in North Florida or, you know, Alabama. Anyway, so that's just encouraging people to step one foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I think we should do is submit your impossible routes. And then the last thing I want to do is submit your impossible route videos. So I want to have this platform community platform where people are like, Hey, here's my route. And like, we're not even necessarily on it, but it's almost like a forum. Hey, that route's super cool. I want to try that. Where do you think we should eat afterward or whatever? And, and really kind of create a little bit more longitude to it. If that makes any sense, because there's so many routes out there and we're never going to ride them all. Tyler and I, for sure not. We're going to have some more athletes involved next year and really open up the platform to some other characters, not to tell you too much about next year, but it's going to be really cool. More characters, more stories, more places, more faces, and it's going to be super fun. But yeah, I, I like to encourage people to sort of think outside the box and ride something different. You know, that's your homework. You know, if you've never done a fat bike ride, hey, that might be the next thing. That might be your next fun thing to go and try. Because I'll tell you what, you know, if you put something on the calendar and you and your friends get excited about it, the rest is history. You got to start training. You got to get the gear, get the know-how and take on your impossible. Yeah. Put it on the calendar. You know, bicycle retailers, many retailers I speak to are just really, they're tired. You know, they've been relentlessly working, you know, extra hours, a lot more stress right now, trying to you know, be on that item watch and grab, grab 10 speed chains when they come up. And, you know, there's just so many stressors and every day it's, you know, turning the light on and going into the bike shop and then having to tell someone there's a delay or, and so I'm like, okay, let's just go ride. Let's make a commitment. Like, you know, let's put a date on the calendar and go on a trip like collectively and yeah. encourage retailers to ride because you're right. Once you put something on the calendar, you make a date, mm -hmm. commit to it. You're in, man. You're just yep. you're in then. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, I don't know if we're lucky or if it's like just a mutual like truce, but the local shops here, they'll not step on each other's toes to be open like seven days a week. Mm. Like they're just like, okay, we're going to ride on Sundays and that's that. And it's cool. It's cool because, you know, people will find their way to schedule it and work it in their schedule. And then when they had the snowshoe, the world cup at snowshoe, I mean, there were thousands of people paying to watch and it was actually worth paying because it was just insane. So much fun, all this stuff going on and music and, and the downhill races. And they just closed the shop. They, they basically put a sign up. Sorry, we're going to be closed on Saturday. See ya. <laughs> I think it almost also makes you more human, you know, and even if you actually go ride with your customers, wow, what about that magic that happens, right? Yes. I think that's important, you know, and of course we're, we're trying to put food on the table, but like, I think it's really, it's significant for employee retention to listen and to reward, you know, because it's, it's not an easy time. It's very, very stressful, but you know, just those small gestures and saying thanks and having that, you know, lunch hour ride, that community aspect where people are encouraged to, you know, stay fit and stay sane is really going to pay off because, you know, trying to train someone and hire right now is not really fun. And if you lose people, you lose a lot of knowledge base and there's tremendous value to everyone out there who is sharing their experience, everyone out there that is back there, you know, <laughs> trying to change cables and, 
and tune a DI2 derailleur and try to figure out this next bottom bracket or this next Bluetooth interface for their flight, whatever it is. What is that thing? Flight attendant. You know, I mean, we have all this technology and it's only going to get more complicated. And so we really need to have a huge shout out to the people that are very good at what they do and make sure they get to ride. Yeah, right. Because I know when I come back from a ride, I'm feeling good and I'm ready to like give joy to everyone. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap it back up to the impossible routes. Let's talk about ways that consumers can interact with you. Like what is what where should we go to the website first, impossibleroutes.com? Then you're saying watch the pilot and then what else? Is there social feeds? Yeah, absolutely. We we do a lot of posts and videos and content on Instagram for the impossible route. This one there is Jeremiah Bishop. And also we've got Tyler Pierce, the vegan cyclist. So yeah, the impossible route Instagram is fantastic. And website is the impossible route.com. You also see the episodes on outside TV coming up soon. And so the links will go directly from the website to the YouTube channel and then outside TV. I'm not sure when we're going to be able to have those episodes live there, but check it out. Fun stuff. Awesome. Anything else you might lead with for our retailers? Any last thoughts for retailers listening, staff, employees of retail bike shops, you know, across the U.S. moving forward? Any words of wisdom? I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) Hey, I just say thanks for keeping all the people rolling because you know what I mean? The how important it is, you know, during this whole last two years to get your head space right and be outside and to do your thing to get to work, you know, that's something you can be proud of. There's a lot to be proud of. And I think when we look at, you know, a lot of the heavy lift, you know, has been overcoming these challenges and keeping people rolling. And that is a peace of mind as important as being, you know, a psychiatrist. (laughs) I mean, it's like so good for people. So to everybody out there that's working in the shops, hopefully to get some good winter rides in. I'm looking forward to some some adventures myself and uh, yeah, make sure to be in touch and and reach out to us. We pretty much answer every single comment or every single, we read every single comment on the YouTube and reply to our DMs and and really try to interact with folks and, and look forward to collaborating. Well, thank you, Jeremiah. Today's guest, Jeremiah Bishop, theimpossibleroutes.com. Go ahead, check out the website. Such an inspirational message, getting more people to chase their passion, their dream, chase their impossible, share it with others. That's it for today. I invite you to connect with me. Come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story with our listeners. Lots of love for our industry. The NBDA has been around since 1946. That's 75 years existing to support bicycle retailers in North America. If you'd like to support the NBDA or the show, don't forget, subscribe, share our messages, our, our podcasts, our webinars on social media. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. And with this, we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Bicycle Retail Radio.